What up, everybody? It's your boy, Ogozi here, bringing you a brand new episode of The Political Fugitive. So this is like an emergency episode. Hold on, my mouth is kind of dry. Ah, anyways, <laughs> this is an emergency episode because uh, just about 20 minutes ago, the new Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States, Amy Coney Barrett, was just confirmed with a 52 to 48 vote with Susan Collins of Maine being the only Republican to vote against it. Now, we're here in this episode, we love to explain things, and this is our analysis, not even our, because uh, this is a media, I didn't ask anyone to be on here, but I just wanted to talk about it, um, so it'll just be me talking to myself, which is kind of weird if you think about it, it's, it's, it's actually really weird, you know, <laughs> but anyways, I'm still just going to talk about it, so Amy Comey Barrett was confirmed, if you listen to her previous episode you would know all about it uh who she is how experienced she is etc etc and so we're gonna skip over all that assuming that you already listened to it so just kind of head right head right in so what does this mean for the future of the supreme court and the future of the united states the, the supreme court is the in my opinion the most powerful branch in the united states out of all three Essentially, they're a policy-making body at this point. They can say what you can do and you can't do, right? And they are not elected. And their ability to just make those decisions just makes them incredibly powerful. They can check any branch of government, legislative, executive. They can check the states. They can literally, their, their word is the final say, right? So they're extremely powerful. And it all comes out to the fact that Amy Comey Bear is a originalist, which means that she takes the constitution by its literal meaning if the constitution explicitly says this then that's what the that's what the government must do right for example to declare war that's a that's an explicit that's an explicit clause that's an explicit power given to the united states uh specifically the legislative branch so they can do that however for for example the insurance mandate that was that was ruled unconstitutional because nowhere in the Constitution does it say that the United States government can regulate people's choice in healthcare. They can't say you have to get healthcare. Therefore, that's an originalist thing. The other one is basically uh, it's it's not originalist. I forgot the term at this exact moment, but they basically take the Constitution as moving by the timeline. They understand that times change and. Because times change, because culture changes, because our needs change, the Constitution also must change, right? So, of course, if you take it by originalist terms, the Constitution does not permit the, the government can mandate health insurance. However, given the times that we are in today with desperate needs for health insurance and all the complexities that come with it, they said, you know what? Okay. The, no way the founding fathers would have known that we've come to this moment. So we have to interpret the Constitution in a way that they w wouldn't be able to because obviously they can't predict the future. So that's the main difference. So Andy Comey Bear is an originalist. She takes the Constitution literally. This means that she will most likely vote against anything that the Constitution does not explicitly allow, right? For example, the Green New Deal. That the Green New Deal is a... For many people's views, it's socialist, uh, and it basically 
mandates a lot of things, carbon emissions, the jobs. It eliminates the fossil fuel industry effectively. It's, it's time to do so, but it still does at the end of the day. For example, if the Green New Deal were to be passed by Congress, which is unlikely, but if it were to be passed, the court would easily strike it down. They would say the government has, doesn't have the power to strike down industries. They can't just eliminate the oil industry. They can't just stop people from using the fossil fuels they like because the Constitution doesn't say they can, right? Whereas other people, other justices, the liberal justices would be like, listen, we're in climate change. The, the lawyers have argued that climate change is very real. It's, it's dangerous and it's a life-threatening situation. So at this moment, they would use kind of loopholes. They'd be like, uh, so certain previous Supreme Court presidents have said that under war times, the, the executive branch or the legislative branch, they can leg- make any laws they want just to win the war, right? They could say the battle for climate change is a war because it threatens our existence as a nation. Therefore, the Green New Deal is constitutional because without it, our constitution wouldn't exist because as a nation, we wouldn't exist. So that's the main difference. Whereas Amy Comer Barrett would be like, listen, the constitution does not permit the the government to regulate these industries in a way that the Green New Deal does. So that that would be stricken down pretty easily by the conservative majority. That's one point. Second point is this is a lifetime appointment and the oldest justice happens to be conservative. So the only way liberals would take back to court, quote unquote, would be if Clarence Thomas retires, Justice Clarence Thomas. He's 72 year old, years old right now. So I guess I could we, you could accurately assume that he will retire within the next decade, if not pass away. Again, I wouldn't wish that on anyone, but it is, again, we, we're all meant to die at one point. So it is a possibility. So that's the only way the liberals will be able to take back the court, unless they were to do court packing, but I'll get in on that later. Third, I already talked about the third point because of her original views. She will probably she'll probably get rid of any laws that the Constitution does not explicitly allow, such as Medicare for all, Green New Deal, certain business regulations. Um, for example, a mandatory vaccine that would never fly through court. Um, stuff like that. Okay. Fourth point: Why this is so important is because for for since Justice Kennedy passed away. Um, he was mainly the swing vote. Since he passed away, Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, he realized that the there's a solid four and four, uh, solid ideology based in the court. There's four very strong-hearted conservatives, and there's very strong-hearted liberals. They're gonna vote exactly the same way every single case. And Roberts, he said, you know what, if he was appointed by a Republican. He's seen as a conservative by many people. But he said, if I were to go along with that assumption, if I were to vote as a conservative all the time, that would illegitimize the court. It would make it seem like they're going to vote the same way every single time. It would basically demolish the judicial process. So he said, you know what? I'm going to start being a swing vote. I don't want this court to look partisan. I don't want people to assume the way we're going to rule every single time. So he would basically flip-flop on a lot of issues. Right. Like on one case, he would vote with the liberals. Another case, he would vote with the conservatives. So that's how it went for the past several years. Right. Um, on one case, he would, for example, he would uh, strike down a regulation by the government. 
another case, he would have voted to expand LGBTQ rights. So it's it's flip-flopping on issues, but the intent is to make the court seem nonpartisan. Um, he will no longer have this power because the only reason he was able to do that is because there was four conservatives, four liberals. So he was able to decide every case, essentially, right? He no longer has that power because now there's going to be five strictly conservatives. So w- what he votes on will no longer matter, which is a big... Fu- uh, I almost swore. Sorry about that. But it's a big freaking issue. Five and six. Okay, point five would be that this means that many issues, when stricken down by the Supreme Court, will be left up to states to legislate. So, for example, climate change, right? States can take their individual approaches to climate change because it will probably never happen on the federal level. They could say uh, our state cannot uh, cannot release this many carbons. They can't have this many cars and stuff like that, right? States can do that. So assuming that the Supreme Court will strike down any kind of federal regulations regarding those individual rights. And that point is really important because, uh, for example, people have been talking about how abortion will no longer be accessible on the national level, which is not true at all. If Roe versus Wade to be overturned, that would mean that states will still be left to legislate it. For example, if Roe versus Wade were to be overturned, which basically prohibited national, uh, it which prohibited any state from banning it. If that was overturned, that would mean some states could ban it, and some states would be free to make it as accessible as they wanted. Um, so Massachusetts, New York, those Democratic states, abortion will still be accessible. There will still be. Uh, a right within those respective states, but some states like Missouri, Mississippi, Alabama, of course, they're going to ban that, right? So it will be up to the states to legislate those things. They will still have, some states will have access, some states don't. Again, this underlines the points that state elections are so important. They're so important because we become an increasingly federal society. Like a lot of our focuses are on federal issues. People seem to ignore state issues so much. But again, this is an example of why state elections matter, because they can change so much, right? Whenever a federal government is too slow to act on it, your state government could act on it. Um, but again, there's a disclaimer to that, because even if states were to legislate, if they were to legislate, for example, make uh, third trimester abortions legal, right? And if someone were to receive personal injury from, from that, uh, Actually, that that's not a good. Actually, let's go with that. And that those laws could still be challenged by those individual citizens within those individual states, and those cases could still come up to the Supreme Court. So it's not like states are free to do whatever they want. They still have to respect the federal constitution of the United States because that applies to everyone, regardless. And if they were to enact progressive legislation, they that could still be challenged and that could still be revealed by the court, but. Um, those are a lot more tricky because it, this is whole constitutional law stuff. Um, you have to have personal injury in many cases to challenge it. For example, third trimester abortions, right? If you're a man, you can't challenge that. You, uh, maybe you can on grounds that of marriage. I don't even know. I'm not even going to get into that, but unless you were personally injured by the law that permits 
third trimester abortions, you can't challenge that law, right? That's a Supreme Court precedent. You wouldn't be able to bring that up to the court. So once states legislate, it's a lot less likely for it to be uh, taken on by the courts. Um, so it gives a little bit of leeway. Now let's get into court packing. What is court packing? So the New Deal happened. Frank Donald Roosevelt, um, as you know, he did a New Deal. And during that New Deal, he enacted a lot of legislation that went beyond what the Constitution way beyond what the Constitution had explicitly allowed the federal government to do. Uh, for example, the NRA, that like just completely took several industries under their control. Those laws were immediately uh, taken down by the court, and so were many other New Deal programs, because the court literally believed that they, it went way beyond the federal government's power. As a result, FDR was pretty pissed off, because he's trying to do things for the country that he believes is the best thing to do so for like the early 30s like his first two administrations the court kept on taking down every a lot of laws that he had uh made congress pass so as a result he threatened something it's called court packing so he said all right you nine justices are not helping me right i need to get shit done and you guys aren't helping me so i'm you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna add six more seats to the United States Supreme Court. And I'm going to fill them with people. They're, I'm going to make sure they're going to vote the way I want them to. That way you effectively get rid of the opposition in the court. This was very controversial. It was uh, seen as fascism by a lot of people. It was a way in which the federal government got rid of a check on their power. It's extremely unpopular at the time. And it still is. And uh, so that's what he threatened to do. And as a result, the Supreme Court started changing their rulings. Because they, did, they obviously didn't want to lose their legitimate power. Because he was so popular that if he had tried to do it, he probably could have got it done. But the threat was effective enough for the Supreme Court to stop taking out all his laws. So uh, that's court packing. So what the Democrats have suggested, at, led by Ed Markey of Massachusetts, that's my senator, is because of the outrageous way, in their words, this is not my words, okay? In the Democrats' words, and the outrageous way that the Republican Congress passed Amy Corman's Baird's uh, nomination, disregarding the quote-unquote precedent that they set, um, not confirming Obama's nominee in 2016, they should retaliate. If, because they went so low, they should go even lower, right? They're basically tired of going high. So they're saying... They're basically, it's a threat. It's, it's essentially a threat. And they're saying if you pass Amy Corman Barrett... If we get a control of Congress, if we get a control of the Senate, I mean, everyone assumes that Democrats are going to retain control of the House, but the Senate, it is likely that they take, take it back. So what they say is, if they pass Amy Comey Barrett, we will pack the court. We'll add two more seats. That's the most popular one that they've thrown out so far. We'll add two more seats to the Supreme Court to the United States, and we'll fill it with Democrats, and they'll take back the liberal uh, side of the court so there are two issues with that right uh, there's actually three issues the first the first issue is that it's unpopular it's it's not exactly popular uh, because you know people don't like change and a constitutional change of that sort would be uh, will be taken back and people will begin to see Democrats as more extreme than they already are perceived as right two 
That argument assumes that every Democratic senator will vote for such a resolution. A lot of senators come from states where they can easily lose their seat. For example, Ohio. Trump is winning in Ohio for the latest poll, but even though it's by like 0.5%, he is still winning Ohio. Ohio is not a blue state, okay, by any means. There are two Democratic senators from Ohio, but they could easily lose their seat. Those senators, or Joe Manchin, he comes from West Virginia, those senators, you cannot assume that they will vote for a very risky legislation like court packing. So that solution could feed into the ideology that Democrats don't like the Constitution, they don't like the rule of law, and they're trying to push their own ideology into the court. And the court is not supposed to be about ideology. It's it's meant to interpret the law. So it feeds into that narrative. And most people agree with that, right? And uh, so that is the problem. Me, personally, I don't agree with court packing. I am an institutionalist. I believe in an institution. The best way to go about it uh, is to through states. Hopefully, this will make people vote more in states and try to get more states blue. And they can do legislation in a way that you can avoid the court as much as you can, and um, and wait for Clarence Thomas's retirement, and hopefully you can retain power then and nominate another another uh, Democratic nominee. And me personally, I I listen to a lot of Amy Coney Barrett's hearing, and it seems like she respects the Constitution, and I'm just hoping that she decides based on constitutional reasoning instead of party ideology, right? She made that clear in her confirmation, and I hope she is telling the truth. So, the analysis. So, I'm going to sum, summarize it for you. The court is going to be conservative for a very long time. This means a lot of federal re- legislation backed by progressives like Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders. Those laws, like the Green New Deal, Medicare for All, that will that has absolutely no chance of standing anymore because they go beyond, way beyond what the Constitution permits, and it's hard to argue that in court. And the only way you could do it is through the necessary and proper clause, and those arguments are extremely hard to make. So so I guess the world ahead is very dim. But again, this is a positive. This is a positive that Joe Biden is president because he is a moderate and moderates get along with the Supreme Court because they don't go too beyond what is acceptable under constitutional uh, interpretation and expectations. So yeah, this is this is my take. This is the political future's take. Um, I hope that explained a lot to you. And yeah, this is my thought. It's very historical because this is this confirmation will be looked at for generations to come because this will change the landscape of the court for many years. It could result in many reversals of precedents. It could result in many future laws be be uh, stricken down. It's, it's a very, very uh, consequential decision, right? Uh, and yeah, I, I want to look at a positive side. I want to hope that Amy Comey Barrett decides cases based on their merits, not based on her own ideology, which is clearly ultra-Christian, ultra-conservative. I hope that doesn't get in the way of her interpretation of law. That's the best I can hope for. 
Um, and that's what the best people can hope for. Core packing can backfire on the Democrats very easily. So it's a decision that must be taken very carefully. So that's my take. That's my analysis. Um, that's my explanation. I try to remain nonpartisan in talks like these because I don't want to exude my own view on you. So be free to decide what you want. Again, Political Fugitive is a place where you can escape the social media uh, craziness that there is, right? <laughs> I've been trying to personally, uh, me personally, I've been trying to be nonpartisan in my own life. I'm trying to listen to both sides. I mean, I was, I've been listening to Fox News for like the past hour after I listened to CNN and after I watched C-SPAN. So it's important to get both views. And, uh, and yeah, that's my take. Let me know what you think. Again, as always, if you think this episode is trash, let me know. Tell us, always tell us how we can improve. Always give us some feedback um, and give us questions. Give us topics to talk about. And this is your boy Ogozi, and I'm signing out. Capiche, and have a great evening.